I just came back from the new Harry Potter movie. Harry's getting old. He's like older than my dad. They should start calling him Harold Potter. This is episode 34 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. And today we have a guest. Hey, I'm Luke Acne. And we brought him on because he's a funny people. And we watched funny people. That's that's my best segue. <laughs> I didn't actually think about it beforehand. That's really funny. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot do better than that. That's yeah. totally fine. <laughs> Honestly, the the intro segue, the worst part of any podcast. Everyone hates them. Sure. There there are, you know, hundreds of scholarly papers written on the proper way to segue from an introduction. Do you go with a cold open? Do you open with a quote? Do you go in media res? (laughs) That's just a joke. There's not... I was going to say I I was I was impressed. I was like, really? What I took I was the wrong major in college. <laughs> I I did major in segueing, much like Paul Blart did. <laughs> yeah, this is that a... foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, no. Minor in foreshadowing. <laughs> this is a podcast where we are watching all sixty Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler adjacent films every day in a row and podcasting about it. Alex, why are we doing this and why are we bringing other people in? Well, we don't want it to be an echo chamber where I constantly defend Adam Sandler, which is what I feel like I've been doing a lot of. And we don't want to bring in too much internet influence where we just hate him for no reason. But we are trying to figure out if Adam Sandler deserves all the hate. And we're kind of echoing chamber anyway by inviting a bunch of people we kind of know already but hey it works that's what we're doing Mm -hmm. yeah so luke what is your experience with adam sandler like tell us about your (laughs) your your personal relationship with the sandman sandman i think uh wow okay um i think i'm the at that age where he truly started coming up i was maybe a little young too young to be watching snl when he was on but i was um I'm try- I mean, I know he did a few movies before, but but would, let's say for the sake of argument, like Billy Madison is really the start of this thing that that would have put me at 15. So I think I would have been his tar- target audience from the get, especially with the comedy albums and things like that. So so whether I liked him or disliked him, I think he was just a, a huge part of the culture growing up. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you have a uh, favorite and like maybe least favorite movie of his also? Okay. Um, or most important, at least, if you don't have that off the top I of your head? You know, I, I mean, I mean, the go-tos would probably be the, the early ones. Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Wedding Singer. I mean, the, the, that's definitely part nostalgia. Um, if we're talking about like the extended Happy Madison universe or... What like e, e, what would that be EHMU as it's probably called on the internet? Um, I, I would go with uh, I, I would go with Grandma's Boy. It's problematic, but I think it's you know, if the only real parameter is which is the funniest movie, I'd probably go with that one. I mean, um, I think everyone we know agrees with that, which is okay, strange okay. enough. Sony agreed with it. Who's been on the podcast? Ben okay. agreed with that. Who was on the Grandma's Boy episode because he can do a really good Dante impression. Everyone gotcha. loves that movie. Wow. Okay. And um, I mean, as far as it's hard for me to dismiss it. I'm not trying to be some like gross incel film bro. Like I don't have like American History X or Fight Club posters in my bedroom or something. But <laughs> but Uncut, Uncut Gems probably really is as good as people are saying it is. I mean, I think it's great. It's very yeah. good. Um, 
I mean, oh, I didn't uh, even think about people liking uncut gems for the wrong reasons, like the people who like Fight Club uh, they, for the they wrong just reasons. Tend to. They just tend to, right? Yeah, yeah it brings out the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, one of the things about that that always annoys me is there's a lot of movies I like for despite their terrible message because they're kind of showing like, like how silly these people are. Um, in the same way, me and Jess was thinking that Paul Blart was making fun of cops. There's people out there who are like, man, cops are sick. They should do violence, like stuff like that. And I'm like, ooh, did people like think this was a serious movie and I'm the one who's uh, <laughs> wrong? It's so hard to You're tell because right. yeah. it's, it's you know, you make a parody of something and it's indistinguishable from a serious critique of something sometimes. That's the problem with addressing right. like a bizarre thought and everybody always just takes the wrong like people like the wall street for the wrong reasons um people like to throw uh yeah i'll, I'll use this as an example because i think we'll bring this up later but like people throw great gatsby parties like completely yeah. missing the narrative of what that book is actually about you know yeah. like people attach to things what they want it's um, true yeah except yeah. for adam sandler where uh people will only hate everything he does whether it's deserved or not is my <laughs> official opinion at this point it's not false yeah. we have the, the numbers based on based on the reviews grandma's boy got by critics compared to its widespread appeal it, it, it makes no sense <laughs> especially during that era though i, th I think i do think critics tended to just always dismiss all outright comedies yeah and they they really enjoyed writing their criticisms um in ways that shoot showed how funny they were they're like oh this is right this is worse than an open weeping sore and then you're like no it's not it's not you know let's, it's not let's, let's prove how um unfunny this movie is by by pointing out how unfunny i am i don't really get those those yeah. actions how many times did you laugh at it alex uh, I laughed at this movie 84 times, which is really high, but it's a very long movie. Um, it's like almost two and a half hours, right? And it's so long. It doesn't feel like it to me, honestly. You know, I was gonna, I was gonna apologize for going on so many tangents, but I was like, I think I just do podcasts, like Judd Apatow does movies. <laughs> I don't. It's like um, the Stephen King of dick and fart jokes. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, like. like her horror uh, evil or clown doesn't have to be like like Dostoevsky length and like like bad comedies don't need to be two and a half hours long like that's insane yeah um i will say most of my laughs come from the fact that they do stand-up bits through the entirety of the movie and i just it's really easy to make me laugh anyway so i'm i'm dying halfway through this movie you know just okay. every every little stand-up i'll laugh at it i'll give it a chuckle and I thought the stand-up was okay yeah it was well, better than most movies people do stand up in them usually it's awkward but... yeah mm -hmm. and they they purposely had the actors actually write their own stand-up and perform it and then they like edited that which i found interesting um and made more sense i think um, real quick, before we keep going, I do want to apologize to listeners just in case I'm not able to edit it all out because I don't think that I will. We're recording right now at 8.18 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and despite the fact that the sun is still out, people do want to shoot off fireworks. <laughs> and now my neighbor has a guest over, so you might hear a couple noises, maybe some traffic noises. I apologize, but you know what? If you're listening to this all still, you don't care, do you? Yeah, that, and I mean, if they've seen some of these movies, they've listened to worse, so. <laughs> Alex, 
let's guess how how yeah. much the critics thought about it. So, do you guys want to guess the Rotten Tomatoes critic rating and the audience rating of this movie? My opinion. It's on you. My opinion is that <laughs> nope. it's like forty percent for critics. I'm gonna give it a little higher than they usually give Adam Sandler movies because this was a very artsy feel thing, and I think that they really like Judd Apatow. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that the audience didn't like it much more than that. I'm going to say that the audience liked it probably 50-ish, like probably low 50s. You have a guess, Luke? So I, I think I have to recuse myself from this because uh, I, I looked just a little bit ago. I didn't know yeah. we were playing fun games. Uh, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't want to come across like I just know everything. Sometimes, <laughs> like, sometimes I, I did look ahead and I guessed accurately on purpose. Nice. Just, just to feel like you're doing a good job. Yeah. I get it. I well, it, a lot of the time, it doesn't make any sense where the rating ends up. No. Um, but in this one, the critics actually gave it a 69%. Nice. Nice. Um, which I think might be a little high. Um, but the so. audience score is 48%. Okay, so I wasn't too off with the audience score. Mm-hmm. I am so surprised that the critics rated it that high. But again, I think that they really like Judd Apatow. And they're like so into the that that arc that oh uh, he's famous and he's depressed about it arc. I think they like that kind of stuff. I think more so they just they love Judd Apatow in a way that makes no sense. It's like true. I understand he makes good movies and I agree. They gave Avengers two a seventy five percent. Or sorry, Anchorman two. I don't know why I called it Avengers. <laughs> I was gonna say he didn't do Anchorman. <laughs> yeah. He didn't do Avengers. He, he, he did was he? not involved with Avengers. But Anchorman <laughs> Two was a terrible movie. But critics decided it was fine. How much did um, they give it? Sorry, seventy-five percent. Wait, absurd. More than this movie. Um, they they gave uh like knocked up is a ninety percent. Super bad is an eighty-eight. I actually think Super Bad deserves to be right about there. Um, Talladega Nights is a seventy-one. It's higher than this. Forty-year-old Virgin was an eighty-five. Yet then Anchorman was a 66. How the fuck is Anchorman lower than Anchorman 2? These bastards. Okay, Rotten Tomatoes Um, just doesn't make sense. We need to tear it down and build it again. We're talking about Rotten Tomatoes, right? Well, it could be Mm -hmm. wrong, but the parameter is this is just a percentage of the people that at least liked it, right? Yeah, it's if they recommend it. If they say minus that's a recommendation so these so it is skewed it's like it's like grading on a curve on some level right like yeah yeah it's basically if they if a critic recommends you watch this movie it goes into the up pile if they say don't watch this movie it goes to the down pile right it's it's like siskel and eber when i was a kid like it's either they liked it or they did not like it like that was it there's no in between yeah the reason we use the rotten tomatoes uh one instead of like a Metacritic is because I know Adam Sandler is aware of Rotten Tomatoes due to his comedy special called 100% Fresh. <laughs> oh, so, for sure. So it's Absolutely. the most Adam Sandler <laughs> approved way of rating his own movies. I think too that you would find if people were actually grading this like anywhere from E to A or whatever, mm-hmm. it would still be very skewed just because that's how grade inflation works. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you give somebody five stars on something, for example. That means you, you really liked it. You give them four stars, people start to think, like, what was wrong with it? Three stars ends up seeming really bad. Two stars is like, oh, this is horrible. And one star is the lowest you can go. So it also skews a lot. Yeah. You see that as a, it's a problem sense. in the tabletop industry with certain mm-hmm. rating systems. So, yeah. Uh, tr- yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and finally, before we recap 
the sand layer star rating one to three stars normally this would only get one star because it's supposedly just stars adam sandler and he didn't uh produce it or direct it or write it but i'm giving it two stars because it is obviously something that judd apatow wrote for adam sandler and was very specific that he was to be involved in this movie. Um, this movie, I don't think would happen with, you know, a Jim Carrey. I think also the fact that Judd Apatow and Adam Sandler are friends and have been friends long enough that the opening scene is something that he recorded when they were younger. Yeah, when they were roommates. Yeah, so I think that that also kind of brings up the importance of the movie as well. Yeah, well, uh, why don't you recap it since you yeah. started yeah, so it starts the way I said, um, and we get George Simmons. This is Adam Sandler's character. George Simmons is a popular, rich comedian who has starred in movies that seemingly mostly appeal to kids. Uh, we, we get him doing his kind of babble thing. Um, the one movie that keeps coming up over and over again is this movie called Redo, where he has his head superimposed on a baby's body. Uh, he, anyway, he and finds Merman. out- Oh, and Merman, yes, where he is a mermaid, and he speaks in basically a Billy Madison voice, or a Waterboy voice even. Uh, He finds out that he has a serious disease called AML, which is like leukemia, and the only hope is an experimental drug regimen that has an 8% chance of success, so he believes that he is going to die. Depressed and kind of grappling with life, he visits the improv, where Ira Wright, played by Seth Rogen, is going to do a set... uh, George ends up going on, too, after Leo, who's played by Jonah Hill. And George Simmons bombs because it, like, it's, like, super dark, and that's not what people are used to from him. Um, and Ira goes on after, and his set mostly uh, just makes fun of him. Ira apologizes afterwards, and he says that he loves George's work. And uh, George drives away, and it you wouldn't get the impression that he would want to do this next thing, but... He ends up calling Ira the next day and asks him and Leo to help him write jokes for an event for MySpace that he's going to do. Ira doesn't tell Leo, though, about this because Leo, he thinks that Leo's successful enough, um, and plus this movie is about competition, um, and Ira helps him alone. The jokes end up being a success, although Ira gets nervous and ends up telling a lot of the set because George makes him go on first. And George ends up hiring Ira as a personal assistant, and... That night, he spends the night at George's house and talks to him while he's falling asleep. The next morning, George tells Ira that he's sick and he wants him to keep it a secret. Uh, so the kind of the next arc of the movie, I'm going to, this one I feel like there's a lot of stuff I can skip over. There are a lot of like montages mm-hmm. almost inside of the movie. But the next arc of the movie basically has George doing more sets of the improv um, as well and getting sick. Uh, as well as Ira, Leo, and Daisy, who's played by Aubrey Plaza, um, doing sets at the improv. Uh, Daisy is Ira's love interest. She moved across the street from him, Leo, and his friend slash roommate, Mark. Uh, But the problem is that Mark Schwartzman, uh, Mark, played by Jason Schwartzman, is um, he has sex with Daisy, and it causes a falling out between Ira and Daisy, even though, like, that ends up being the longest conversation they've ever had. They don't really know each other that well. Um, and Ira's kind of jealous of Mark, even though Mark is, you know, he's just on a shitty sitcom. 
Ira eventually convinces George to tell his family and friends about his illness, and he does, and we get some funny cameos of his, quote, showbiz, showbiz friends, like Andy Dick and Sarah Silverman. Well, I guess Sarah Silverman is later, but whatever. Um, telling jokes to him, um, and his sister is upset with him because he doesn't, he basically never sees them and doesn't really know his nephew. George also tells his ex-girlfriend, Laura, who he is still in love with. And um, Laura is played by Leslie Mann is her name, right? Yes. Uh, Judd Apatow's wife. Uh, She confesses that he is still the love of her life and that also her husband, Clark, is cheating on her, too. Um, Well, but it turns out that even though, like, all this has happened and and you think, like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a depressing movie about watching a comedian die. It turns out that George is one of those 8% of people that actually finds success with the drugs. And he celebrates, uh, but Eminem tells him that there's nothing to, like, Eminem, as in Marshall Mathers, tells him that there's nothing to celebrate and that he should have just let himself die. George ends up inviting Ira to do a show in San Francisco where Laura lives and they meet up and eventually George and Ira go to her house where she's at home with her two daughters, also played by her own children, um, who are actually pretty good actors. Her husband is away on business in China. Uh, George and Laura end up having sex, but then Clark comes home unexpectedly. Uh, He gets along well with um, George at first, but Laura... And George, they pretend that George is still sick because they think it is going to make him upset if they figure, if he finds out that he's not. Uh, the next day, the kids let slip, though, that George isn't sick because Ira told them. Uh, and this causes a fight between Laura and Clark. Clark leaves for the airport and Laura says the next day that she's going to tell Clark that it's over. And she starts actually planning a future with George. She ends up showing him a video of her daughter, her oldest daughter, singing Memory from Cats, and George doesn't cry. And this is, like, yeah, it is relevant slightly later. Uh, Ira follows her to the airport, though, without George's knowledge to stop Laura, because he doesn't think that this is a good idea, and he is right. Uh, But at the airport, Laura and Clark make up, and Clark promises to be a better husband. Clark ends up seeing Ira, though, and freaks out when he realizes that George is at his house and he speeds home to, quote, go kill him. And George and Clark get in a fight, like a fist fight in the yard. That's mostly George running away from Clark. Uh, But George is also mad at Ira for betraying him and punches him in the face, too. Um, And in the end, Laura ends up saying, like, I choose Clark. He's my husband. And Ira and George have a very awkward ride home where George tells Ira he's fired and that he is not funny. Ira goes back to his normal life, and so does George in a way, Uh, but George ends up showing up at another show at the Improv, seeing Ira's set, and then visits him at his work at Otto's Deli, and the movie ends with George sharing jokes that he's written for Ira to use in the future, so a reversal of how they originally kind of got set up, and that's the end of the movie with a great zoom out in a grocery store that I love. I love that ending. Mm-hmm. That ending shot is so cool. And the biggest complaint about this movie is the third act is weird and long and not super funny. And it's awkward and people weren't really sure why it really needed to be there, um, which I do kind of agree with. It, it wasn't super engaging, but it was probably the most important arc to bring everyone's like story and growth together. Mm hmm. 
Um, and I think the reason it was weird and awkward is because that seems to be exactly where every actor and writer and Adam Sandler and Judd Apatow are in their actual story right now. Um, and I think that was kind of the point of that. Yeah, for me, I think that you would expect from a movie like this to be mostly that second act where he's like sick and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the movie, what's the movie that we watched with um, Seth Rogen plays the best friend, his his 50-50. 50-50. Like in 50-50, the, the movie basically focuses on what would be that second act part. Mm-hmm. And that's what people expect that about, about movies about, you know, someone with cancer. They expect it to be about the sickness. But this is, this is not a movie about a comedian who is sick. This is a movie about a comedian who gets better. Yeah. Um, and more so, I, I tend to think the movies, uh, him being sick isn't his issue at all no. in the movie. No. Um, it's definitely a, he's... He's stuck at what, whatever age he got super famous at and <laughs> is kind of acting like a shitbag the whole time. And that's, you know, the central, you know, what, what's pivot point? What's what's a good term for that? Axis? I don't know. Yeah, uh, the central thing that they're trying to deal with. Um, and that's actually looming over everyone. Because it wouldn't be surprising or like really that sad if Adam Sandler, a mean person, died in this movie. <laughs> But it is sad to see Adam Sandler yell at Seth Rogen while Seth Rogen's sad. Yeah, you know? and calling him unfunny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I I tend to see this as a vaguely autobiographical movie. So while it's this maybe autobiographical story, um, which I think has major changes from all their lives, of course. Oh, of course. They all at least... They, they have a version of the American dream in real life, all these people, I think. You know, I'm pretty sure Adam Sandler and Judd Apatow both got some version of their American dream. They obviously wanted to be funny people of some sort and do something of the nature. And now they're some of the biggest names around. And they use, you know, actual footage from their, not childhood, but like, you know, their, their formative years of them making jokes and filming each other and hanging out and... That's why yeah. I think, like a lot of people said, this uh, has been related to The Great Gatsby. But I'm not even sure if that's on purpose. Do you think that's on purpose? Actually, before you get into The Great Gatsby stuff, because I think that is really interesting, I think that it was really smart to use that film, that, that footage from when they were younger, because not only does it show like Adam Sandler making jokes and kind of shows like this very unprofessional, very amateurish is what I should say, um, kind of production. But it also shows what the apartment looked like. And then the next shot is him in his huge mansion on the beach. Mm -hmm. So not only is it showing like this acceleration of quality, um, but it's also showing this acceleration of wealth. And I thought that that was... um, really interesting that's good I'm, I'm kind of bummed out that you said that if only because i kind of I, he was just throwing it in there because he's like hey look me and adam sandler have known each other for a really long time and i don't know how to cut anything out of my movies ever under any circumstance <laughs> um but damn it you're right i don't think i'm not i'm gonna argue that probably wasn't intentional but but that does make, make me like it more because initially i i just saw it as something that he just knew he could do because i would i would argue this movie is not as autobiographical as most people tend to see it as they tend to see it as like oh it's basically just like adam sandler and it's like and as far as adam sandler is mostly only capable of playing a fictionalized version of himself Mm -hmm. um but, but not really i think it seems like it because 
certain elements lend itself well because they have old footage of home movies of Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler doing stand up and you know uh, footage of of Leslie's career that they can insert into this. I think that's more just like just like strong production values. This is just like using what you have. I don't really know how much I see any of any of the people in the movie and the characters in ter- in terms of their life's stories. Yeah, Adam Sandler yeah. actually hadn't made a, ter- a movie as terrible as Merman yet by the time <laughs> this was made, and he and and uh, you know Leslie Mann was obviously extraordinarily more more successful. Um, her character, same, same with Seth Rogen, you know. So yeah, I I, I, I I do get the the inkling to feel like it is. Yeah, I think calling it autobiographical audio. Oh damn, that was a bad way to say that. Autobiographical is is not exactly what I mean. Um, even though that's exactly what I said, I'm I'm pulling a big uh politics <laughs> move here. Like, kind of what I mean by it though is these are the stories of people like this. Um, and it's it, it's very personal to them. Yes, it is not a plot I, autobiography. Gosh, now I can't say it. you you ruined that word for me, Alex. Yeah, uh, it's I, not it's not a plot autobiography. I think it's more of like a spiritual autobiography. Like this this it's like a career mm-hmm. trajectory and and some common shared experiences. And and there was enough in this that I actually I went and I looked and I tried to find if Adam Sandler has ever spoken out publicly about like dealing with depression or dealing with an illness because I was like I wonder if this is something that has happened I don't think so I think that's just a symbol but I also think that that's why this movie can be compared so much to The Great Gatsby because that also touches on one of the things that was so popular with The Great Gatsby is that it kind of does have this shared spiritual for lack of a better word experience um where you you make it you quote unquote make it and you try to get the thing that you wanted to make it for and it just doesn't work because you're in a completely different place time has moved as well as you and you cannot go back i think that's why it it does have those connections yeah i can i can see that um and also i don't know i i do think Almost part of the issue of it for me is that they're unable to turn a critical eye on their own work very much. Um, the jokes about the redo and the merman are, <laughs> you know, they're pretty good, but they're not really getting at the core of what makes those movies really that bad. Um, they're getting some light jabs in. Um, they fictionalize Adam Sandler's character to have no family, and that's what he really wants. Because he's a you know huge family man at this point, he mm-hmm. he cares about his family more than anything, and he specifically tells people in like real life, like I really could not give a shit how you like my movie um, if the difference is between me seeing my family at night or not. Mm. Now, Luke, you were saying that you were kind of disappointed that you hadn't that other people had thought of the Great Gatsby thing before. Like, what made you think of the Great Gatsby? He did say that I was really disappointed. I was you know watching it for the the purpose of this podcast and it. It sort of sunk in with me, and I was like, "Has anybody thought of that?" And then you go on the internet, and everybody has thought of that. <laughs> but, uh, but it definitely, it definitely struck me. Obviously, uh, the main story element um, being somebody that's ill is not in. The, well, I shouldn't say obviously. I'm sure most people haven't read the Great Gatsby in 2020. But um, but if you have, like, there, there's no element to that in it. But but. The very simple core of who the characters are in that novel are very similar to who these people are. Um, 
in the film. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely some comparisons. I mean, um, I don't know if I, if somebody else wants to be the cliff notes on the great Gatsby, but, but it's, it's, you know, Nick, Nick, the guy that you know, meets the rich guy, Gatsby, um, arguably maybe kind of wants to be, be like him, be in his shoes. Um, definitely gets in well with him and sort of adopts his life. Um, I think those parallels are pretty obvious, but then, then when you get to find out who Gatsby is and that, that, you know, he's, he was not born into the wealth. Uh, you could make that comparison with George and just be, you know, rising the ranks of, of a standup and then a, then a film star. Um, George, George is obsessed with his, with his ex-girlfriend, just like Gatsby is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, there she's are a lot still of... kind of like in, into him too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, yeah go ahead even the ways that they end up parting are sort of similar mm-hmm. she kind of realizes she likes the idea of of you know george um more than george himself yeah. i think is a little similar mm-hmm. yeah um, there you know. there are other like symbolic things that i think are very similar with the great gatsby um i it was it was similar enough that i was really worried that it was going to end with george's death that he was going to be killed by clark uh, because that's what happens in, in Great Gatsby. Um, Tom, who is uh, Daisy's husband in Great Gatsby, shoots um, shoots Jay in his swimming pool. Or sorry, is it Tom? Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah you're right. Someone shoots him. <laughs> I can't remember if it's Myrtle's husband or if it's Tom, regardless. Um, and there was like a swimming pool that was p- featured pretty prominently in the movie. There's a character named Daisy, too, but she doesn't have, like, any of the similar roles. But I think kind of where that that falls apart, though, is that you can't have an old rich and a nouveau rich in this movie because there's no such thing as somebody who starts off already having a brilliant comedy career, you know? Well. I don't think that that exists. Except for people like uh, Ben Stiller in the original home movie, whose father's a comedian. There is some of that. I don't really think that it stands up to the metaphor, but there is, um, especially like we saw in uh, Going Overboard, the first movie we watched, which is Luke absolutely horrible. It's not even a real movie. It shows this old type of comedy, and then it shows that Adam Sandler is the new type of comedy in that movie. Um, and you pointed out that at one point in this movie, they do a direct quote from that movie. Yeah, he he sings a song, or I think it's also part of one of his stand-up things. Adam Sandler sings a song saying something like, "Who will bring you joy when I'm gone?" And mm-hmm. that's one of the that's one of the lines at the funeral in Going Overboard, where they're like, "Who's going to bring us joy now? Who's going to bring us entertainment on this cruise?" It's like. It was so similar that it, it like just registered with me right away. Plus, the one in Going Overboard, they think the comedian is dead. And here, it's kind of like the opposite. They don't know he's going to die. I just like that that little playful element with it. Mm-hmm. That said, you know, with a movie this long, which parts are we supposed to be picking up on? And which is just Judd jamming everything he's thought of into <laughs> the movie? Because, you know, there there's a lot of that. Um it's it's crazy that that plot recap that's a two and a half hour long movie like oh yeah and i didn't even like talk 
at all about the Yo Teach sitcom, really, and Jonah yeah. Hill getting on this. I didn't talk about any of that, really. Oh, that, that might be the best part of the movie, right? I, I love Yo Teach. <laughs> I, I would have probably hate watched that show. Um, real quickly, did anybody at any point other than me think that this movie was set in the past at some point when it started? And Seth Rogen's walking around in a John Kerry t shirt. Yo, teach almost seems like something that that would have been a little earlier than than the present day. Just those things like MySpace was not that yeah was over by the time this movie came. I'm not completely, but you know what I mean. Like, but I, it but it was. Yeah, I was like, does this movie take place in 2004? <laughs> it, I found that strange, but I think it, that's just a uh, that's a Judd Apatow's too goddamn old to know what's cool because the idea right. the idea of in 2009 making a having uh myspace pay someone a ton of money and then being like fuck facebook being like oh guys you got like 10 minutes left right yeah i mean with with a i mean they're probably filming social network at this point like it has already become so ubiquitous that that they're making uh, the zuckerberg life story right yeah the social network would come out the next year now, I yeah, am exactly. going to give you some information that may perhaps change your mind about how prominent MySpace was. Um, this is from the Wikipedia. On the day the teaser poster was released, Universal Pictures and MySpace partnered together to create a contest that would allow people to have a part in the film by just writing a comment explaining why. Additionally, Apatow held a stand-up comedy concert called The Night of Funny People at the Orpheum Theater in Los Angeles to screen for the movie, and it... I guess kind of mirrors a little bit about what was going on with MySpace at the time. Right, so they, they were still they were still funneling money into it. Yeah, I guess it, it, Justin Timberlake wasn't buying it quite yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from until two thousand eight, my, uh, MySpace was still the largest social networking site. Mm. It's true. Yeah, I, I I tend to think of it as being. I, I'm I'm so old. Like uh, I mean, Facebook was definitely integrated. Intrig- Integrated into my life um, earlier than that, but but 2007 is when it went um, public, meaning it was not just college students. I guess you yeah. are. Yeah, and this this also might be one of those that that famous Adam Sandler product placement. Did did MySpace want to be a part of this in in hopes of like having a little bit of you know advertisement? I don't think it, obviously it didn't work, but you know what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I, the my. The MySpace thing is both it's awkward in the movie, but also I can see a company as poorly run as MySpace giving like $300,000 to an Adam Sandler to tell five <laughs> minutes of jokes. Yeah. Um, my question is, was that actually Tom from MySpace on stage with him? I I, I think so. It, was. it absolutely was. It was my friend for a long time. It absolutely was. <laughs> Wait, was that a MySpace joke, or do you yeah, actually no, that, know well, Tom that from was MySpace? A MySpace joke? Okay. <laughs> I like how it, I, I like that it, if if the idea was that it wasn't a joke, that I was I, it was still past tense, like we had a falling out or something. <laughs> those those stand up jokes were funny. I'll give you that. Uh, the the what what would Craigslist like Craigslist uh, be like? I, I did think that was funny. Yeah, I liked like, that joke, but the one that felt old. Maybe that was a newer joke back in 2009 but the joke that the more friends you have online the fewer you have in real life i thought that that joke was just it felt old but it could be because you know it's been 10 years i actually think that uh adam sandler is a technophobe um in real life because he has 
constantly talks like that. Um, and I don't think he really understands social media at all. Adam Sandler has boomer I, energy. It's true. Well, and I, I think a big part of that is he was famous before social media came out. So what could social media ever do for him other than have a thousand people telling him his movies suck? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I would also fucking hate being on Twitter if everyone's like, watch Waterboy, you suck. Like, oh, <laughs> be a nightmare. So I, I, I did make a note of uh, they talk about the general generational gap between comedy. And I found that interesting that it's something they're obviously aware and think about um, that Adam Sandler said he needed comedy to stop from being beaten by his abusive father, whereas uh, Seth Rogen needs comedy to talk about basically their depression um, and the fact that their parents are all divorced. And I found this interesting because the idea of where comedy is coming from and what its use is, is used differently by every like character in the movie, I thought. Yeah. Where Adam Sandler does it because it's, you know, a thing he's good at and he can be an asshole and he'll tell people they're not funny. Whereas comedy is very integral to the way of life of uh, the young people. And Adam Sandler at the end of the movie, once he kind of takes a change, but he really he refuses to like joke around with people in a lot of ways. He just wants to be dominant in a situation. And I, I, I found that very weird. <laughs> I think that you can really see that too if you look at the decorations in the apartment of of uh, Mark, Leo, and Ira. They almost exclusively um, have comedian posters and funny movie posters hanging up. Like they have a, in their kitchen, they have a, a picture of Jim Belushi. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they end up hanging up uh, one of George Simmons movie posters from Redo in there. Whereas when you look at George Simmons' mansion, there's nothing like that on the walls. Um, he kind of has all of his memorabilia in the garage and he wants to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do have to point out that you said Jim Belushi instead of John Belushi, which I o- only find funny because I'm trying to imagine somebody just having like a canine cop poster hanging up in their <laughs> living room. I was telling myself before I was going to say it, I was like, okay, get the name right, get the name right. You always end up saying Jim Belushi, and that's not what you want to say. <laughs> Some, all, the kid, all the kids just love Jim Belushi, right? <laughs> I, I was trying really hard to come up with a Jim Belushi joke to throw out there, and I just, everything he's ever made just went out my head. Oh yeah, uh, hoodwinked. That's one, right? <laughs> like, oh man. I think the show was called According to Jim. Yeah, I remember According to Jim. I think. Yeah. I exclusively okay. only watch Yo Teach, so I don't know who you're talking about or what you're talking I, about. <laughs> I would. Did you have you guys watched the you you should YouTube um the Yo Teach? They they filmed quite a bit of it. Yeah, I, think I watched it all. When this movie came out and special like, features and yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. 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 It's a very um, good parody of 90s sitcoms. It is also like so kind of goodly bad that it hurts to watch at times. <laughs> I, I just, I just oh. watched them for the sake of doing this and can point out a major gap in this movie. The episode that they're watching on television is the same one that they're shooting just like a, a scene or two down the road. Well, this movie is actually shit. They're actually shooting the same scene. Are are you saying that there's some kind of time paradox happening in this movie? We want to get into the conspiracy zone here. Oh, I mean that. 
obviously I, that's exactly what i'm saying <laughs> yeah because the real thing they're talking about is iris keeps losing weight in this movie and eventually does become adam sandler it's true and you know the whole movie that the redo movie is about how a wizard makes adam sandler young again and turns him into a baby we got that weird time element going on I love that Redo is just making fun of Click, though. That's so funny to me. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the 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 biggest instance where they're where they're specifically making fun of something that Adam Sandler's done, right? Yeah. Although I don't, Click isn't that bad, is it? No, actually, I ended up enjoying Click a lot. I I don't remember liking it as much when I saw it when I was younger, but I ended up actually enjoying it. Right. I was. Yeah, I was prepped i was set up to not like the movie because i remember not having good experiences of it and just a couple weeks before that i watched somebody's youtube video critiquing click mm-hmm. and and i watched it i was like okay this critique video was unfair they cherry picked it and how dare they be so intellectually dishonest yeah um i i just looked up all the fake movies that they mention there's my best friend Do you guys want to see any of these would you do you wish that you could watch some of these in your voyage I would really want to watch My Best Friend is a Robot, um, co-starring <laughs> Owen Wilson. That yeah. sounds like a good movie. I would watch that. I would definitely. It kind of sounds like lazy writing. <laughs> well, but yes, absolutely. I just think Owen Wilson picks good projects. I'm imagining this as like a Bottle Rockets type movie. <laughs> this is like a I... Wes Anderson knockoff. Yeah. I am going to say that I want to watch the merman (laughs) just just because i would love to watch a movie where adam sailor has to play a merman i really i really want to see the hot dog eating competition oh Oh my god yes i forgot about that that. scene that was so (laughs) funny it's all i have that joke yeah that's such a good joke like eating like eating hot dogs isn't gonna bring mom back (laughs) it reminds me have you guys ever seen over the top the the sylvester stallone movie yes about, yeah about like child custody and an arm rest, like a yeah paraphrase norm mcdonald it combines the emotional drama of cost a custody hearing with arm wrestling like that's what it reminded me of i i want to see the hot dog which i don't think has a name yeah that one doesn't have a name but man just the them boiling i think that's actually like some of the best writing they do in the movie is boiling down the absurdity of these movies to like a five second clip because seeing <laughs> you know him yelling like i don't know what else to do while he's still eating hot dogs i'm like yeah that's a movie i would actually liked like <laughs> right it's very 30 rock yeah i'm oh, i'm yeah. super uh i'm a super big fan of competitive eating anyway so it's i think true. it's the funniest stuff in the world kobayashi is the greatest athlete of all time i'll say we that, talked about every that last time with the nacho eating contest from paul yeah, Blart. that was disgusting though they need a last dance for Kobayashi for sure. Like a a a ten hour series that everybody can watch right now about about food eating competitions. I would watch that. I'll watch the hell out of that. But I'm also really upset right now that there aren't any comedies about the world of competitive eating. There's not even a mockumentary out there. Oh, That's man. a market. Someone needs to get on that. I, I want to watch it. What my Sandler script's about to be. <gasps> you know what would be really funny? Like the movie Som, but for competitive eating. <laughs> God, I, I I want there to be a scene in this movie though that is so disgusting to watch it makes everyone throw up. Oh, it, I thought you meant this movie for a second. I thought you meant Funny People for a second. No, no hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, 
I think they should have done more with the with the fictitious element to it. Mm-hmm. I I just brought up Thirty Rock. Like I just like the. I mean, that's just such fun comedy to to kind of create this sort of absurd world, you know, and point out all these things. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love that. Like I'll, whenever Tracy Morgan brings up a show or movie he did as a child actor on that show, I just lose it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if they if they went with that, even to like if they were pitching him movies that were relevant to stuff throughout the movie, I think that would have worked really well to get his, uh, the points across. Even if they, if they want it to be great Gatsby, they call it, uh, you know, someone pitched them a script that says it's the great Gatsby. You're the king of the jungle, but it's also the great Gatsby. And he's just like, I'm not doing that movie and throws it into the trash. People would be like, Oh, okay. And you'd see, you know, if if you're going to be arty about it, just go over the top with it. You can do that. He could have said that he didn't want to do a version of the producers because it would cut too close to home, something like that. Like, that would be a very introspective and funny way to make these jokes that they know what they're talking about. Absolutely. Do you think there's a possibility that Apatow modeled it a little after Great Gatsby and doesn't want you to know that he did? Is he like cheating on the test here? Like, the thing is, it's not Great Gatsby enough for me. Okay, I'm a I'm an English teacher, and if I asked my students to like modernize Great Gatsby, and they gave me something like this, I think I would be like, yes, this is a really cool like, um, it's a spiritual adaptation, but it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. But it would make me wonder if they had actually watched or like read the book. Yeah, or if they read script notes and then thought it would be smart to do this. Yeah. Which, that yeah. sounds like a I mean, Judd Apatow move. <laughs> I've got Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, with the the cats thing, because um, talking about great cats be reminded me of the cats clip. So oh, yeah. um, Leslie Mann's character has uh, both Ira and George watch a scene from uh, a musical that her oldest daughter was in where she is playing Grizabella, the, gl- the glamour cat. Now, I don't know, Luke, have you ever seen Cats? No. Oh, perfect. I'm the expert in the room. Um, I have seen both the, like, the 90s version and I recently saw, like, the 2019 version. So the the movie Cats is fresh in my mind. And Grizabelle the Glamour Cat, she is, um, she sings memories. And it is about how when she was younger, people really looked up to her um, and, like, she was, like, the, you know, she was a glamour cat, but now she's like, like gross. She's old. People don't like her. She's shunned from society. Um, and I thought that that scene, like having memory played, is very thematic for what was going on. Um, because Leslie Mann's character expressed how she wished she had continued her career. She had a, like this really good trajectory, um, and. And it, you know, it makes her feel emotional, but for Adam Sandler's character, it doesn't make him feel emotional, not just because he doesn't have this connection with, um, like, her daughter or anything, but because he doesn't have the experience of being washed up. In this movie, he's not a washed up actor. He's still in high demand. People still really like him. We don't ever see anybody say, like, wow, like, we don't have a lot of people, like, just, you know, ripping into him, you know, like they do in real life, Adam Sandler. Well, I doubt people really do that to his face. To oh, I'm play sure, the truth. but but it's not even really in in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, pe- like people want to have sex with him, you know. Um, no, one, also, one thing is, 
I doubt people are that shitty to his face because um, most people aren't just that brazenly like rude to people. But oh yeah, that's fair. Um, but also in the movie Cats, Grizabella. Um, so Cats is a is a movie about a death cult for cats, um, and Grizabella ends up being the one who is a jellical choice, which means they they basically kill her. Um, so that made me that scene made me really worried that Adam Sandler was gonna die too. I was like, oh shit, he's gonna die. He's the jellical choice, but I don't know. I just felt like I had to bring that up. Might be you might be giving Appetite too much credit here. But, but. <laughs> I mean, there is a point though where if we get enough of these little things building up. That whether he meant it or not, I can death of the author it and say that it it becomes a good message. Um, that's that's how I decide to take it. But also the meandering forty five minutes at the end. I think the only good scene really at the end point is kind of this scene with Ira kind of crying over you know the memory scene. It shows the mom crying and then it shows Adam Sandler not crying on and, his phone. Yeah, yeah, and he's looking at his phone and then it shows. This is the the crux of this era, and now they're going to go to their second chances. Based on what they did in that scene, Leslie Mann goes back to her husband and gives him a second chance. Ira goes back to his normal life and ends up getting a second chance from Adam Sandler. But Adam Sandler goes back to his normal life and kind of hits rock bottom because Ira doesn't want him and Leslie doesn't want him. Because in order to get a better life, they don't need him. And the one scene after that, like, is Ira is lying in bed and saying, I can't believe I have to start all over. Mm-hmm. And the next scene is Adam Sandler walking through his doctor's office exactly the same as the first scene, showing that he didn't grow at all. Mm-hmm. So there's it's a like little he, bit. It's like he's coming back there. out of the doctor's office again. Like, mm-hmm. like, okay, this, like, now this is my actual chance for a second chance. What I thought was my second chance is not really what it was. And then with the ending scene of instead of trying to find the thing that makes him happy, um, which would destroy someone else's happiness, he just reaches out to Ira and offers him a few jokes, it being a small little thing, which isn't the big happy Hollywood ending, but is probably the more meaningful ending slightly. I just wish they did it 30 minutes faster. Yeah, there's a good movie in here. Yeah. Not a great movie, but there is a good movie in here. And... (laughs) Do you know what's funny is uh, I learned that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson actually did a re-edit of this movie before it went out, meaning that like there was a really good editor that kind of got involved at the end there. Uh, so I'm I'm worried about the three hour and fifteen minute movie that Judd Apatow originally made. <laughs> it it does feel a lot. It feels very bloated at times, which makes it feel very pretentious. Mm-hmm. I'm not I I think it was a good movie already though. Yeah, I I think the first and second acts are extremely good and then I think the third act is slightly boring. So. Yeah. yeah it's necessary. It just needs to be significantly shorter. Yes, yeah. I agree. I, I mean, you could you could say that about I mean even the first and second act. Uh, another problem that Apatow has always had is like, yes, I know you work exclusively with the funniest people on earth, but not every joke has to go into the final cut, mm-hmm. especially when it's obviously improv. You actually mentioned the Harry Potter uh, joke at mm-hmm. the beginning of this. And it's like, it's just like, um, that reminded me of um, Knocked Up, where they're, they're just specifically making Spider-Man 3 jokes, which actually came out within a month of Knocked Up. And, and I think actually the Harry Potter sequel came out within a month of this. Like something about him just like wants to make things really topical. Um, yeah. That, that, that was actually when I was like, oh, yeah, I guess this movie doesn't take place in the past. 
Um, <laughs> but but also like every time those guys say something, he just wants to keep it in. Yeah, I, I think he he's like me, where he'll laugh at just about anything and doesn't want anyone. Mm. Like, hey, do you guys hear how funny a joke that was? And they're like, it was okay, guys. Well. Maybe this will make you kind of reconsider that Harry Potter joke, though. Yeah, um, Alex, you want to explain? So there is this thing we've been tracking throughout the entire uh, series, which is the names that uh, Adam Sandler's character had. And for the first 20 to 25 movies, every single movie has him having a diminutive name like... Uh, Shecky. Yeah, uh, Nikki. anything with like a, a Y or IE ending. Mm-hmm. And it's to show that he's an immature person and that he's sure. you know you know small or whatever. And then the once he started was close to getting married and then becoming you know like an adult that people have to look up to now. They gave him real people names, which is why I found it interesting them saying Harry's getting old. He's like older than my dad. They should start calling him Harold Potter because that's what they did to him. And again, fair, but that's a coincidence. (laughs) I, I I would, I would almost bet he just said that off the cuff. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with Judd Apatow films (laughs) is that they're so much ad libbing and improv in it. Um, that he, that's what he sets the scenes for that. It's hard to say he's, uh, ever doing it at, yeah, what he's doing on purpose. He's just kind of cutting it together at the end. But yeah, you, you compare it to Superbad, which is a movie that is not actually, you know, his movie, right? But, but like, he, yeah, and, and there was so much, like, every time um, they ran a take, like, Jonah Hill said something entirely different. Like, those guys love to improv. Mm-hmm. Which is also, like, a very different style of movie, I, th- I think. I'm not 100% sure, but I think the mumble chorus, people call it, and the improv-type movies are a newer thing compared to your like black sheeps and stuff and the more slapstick things that came out, you know, 20 years beforehand. Yeah, it's a it's it really is a different style too. Like you look at a movie like Waterboy where so much of it is the slapstick and so much of it is the weird voice and the weird characters and like the farcical plot. But then you look at Superbad, where that is a lot of that is like the witty jokes and and the farcical plot rather than the the characters themselves. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. does I think that Judd Apatow sort of has that in it? I think he would be better suited to the to the ninety minute comedy um, mm-hmm. in terms oh, of yeah. just making a a wacky movie um, movie that just focuses on laughs. I I mean when you look at uh gosh why can I not think of the early ones um uh knocked up or before that it was a what 40 year old version he has a tendency to like oh this is set up in a very traditional like like an adam sandler movie but then i'm going to take that last act and make this a serious comedy drama mm-hmm. right like i don't know he he's more adam sandler than um like james l brooks but he wants to be james l brooks all right james l brooks you're you're more tapped in i don't recognize that reference who's he i think you might have just watched uh he he directed spanglish if i'm not mistaken oh okay yes um, uh, that, that was another i think that was another movie that could have used some editing done to be honest but that's yeah. all right yeah well to be fair that was also like 
been 30, 40 years in his career, somewhere in that in that time frame. I'm trying to think of what he's he did in the past. I, I mean, I know it, he's got some Oscar nominations for his. He did Terms of Endearment. He did a uh, this movie called Bro- Broadcast News. That's pretty big. Uh, I as like good Broadcast as he, News a lot. That was a good one. Yeah, as good as it gets. Like I think I think John Apatow wants to make dramedies, but his his strong suit probably is more traditional comedies. Yeah, one of the I. I wonder. Um, I've been following Judd Apatow on Twitter for four days now. I don't know how introspective this man is, to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> not that he's like a shitty person. I think he's, you know, no. fairly fine. I think he's probably a decent guy. Fairly fine. Can I have that on my epitaph when I die? Can you like make sure? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put it. He, he was fairly fine. Like, I don't know what he did in private, but he seemed fairly fine. Um <laughs> But I think there's just something to these people who, for 40 years now, you've been like a wealthy comedian of some sort, and you're making these movies still. And I personally believe that, like, you know, young people always make funnier comedies than older people. Um, much like punk rock music, like if you're over 30, you should probably quit. Um, that's obviously unfair, but at the same time, I'm like, you're not going to have your first movie our first few movies are definitely going to be better, I think, than I've been rich for 40 years. Um, and of course, age is... And the energy is not there. Yeah. And, and you're not in tune with, with young people. No, and that's, I mean, you're just not completely in tune with what's happening anymore. I mean, like, what it comes down to is, uh, I know that a few years ago, Adam Sandler made an extremely racist movie. And it's because he's not near anyone, you know, even my age, who's just like, yo, dude, do not do that racist shit right there. That's bad. Don't do that one. Um, and yeah, that's that's always my biggest issue with Adam Sandler's movies is the inclusion of Rob Schneider. Yeah, uh, because he's a racist vampire. If you didn't know, yeah, no, I did not. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. He is the worst. If he uh, if he goes a movie without making uh, some kind of racist joke, he will die. So <laughs> that's why Adam Sandler keeps letting him in his movies is to make sure he doesn't die. But see, for me. <laughs> The the whole movie does feel very pretentious. It, it does feel almost fake in a way. I understand that the issue of being famous is a really big deal to famous people. Like, mm-hmm. the whole screed that Marshall Mathers goes on in the restaurant where he's like, I can't even go to Walmart. I can't go blah, 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 blah. I can't do this. I can't do that. It just feels very privileged to me. And I I don't usually like movies where that is the plot like oh i'm rich now what uh my but my life is so empty or oh i'm this now uh i'm so successful but but i don't have my family i i always feel like that's it rings so hollow and the focus is always on these characters we're supposed to feel sympathetic toward them uh, and we don't get enough sympathy toward the people around them. I don't think that this movie was very sympathetic at all to Leslie Mann's character. I don't think the movie oh. was very sympathetic at all to Adam Sandler's sister's character. Uh, though it, I don't, I don't really even feel like the movie was all that sympathetic toward Ira when he was getting yelled at. Um, it, 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 it tends to focus on the change that has to happen on part of the main character rather than like actual reconciling with something inside of them you know what i'm saying yeah i think the weird thing in this movie is it's unbalanced because it starts with ira being the main character and then it's adam sandler as the main character 
And then at the end, it could even be that Leslie Mann's character is the main character, but they they decide to start filtering everything through Adam Sandler, even when it's supposed to be about other characters. Yeah. And that that doesn't work too well. Um, and it's I think the it's the point of view. It's a little inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. Their point of view is uh, too much, you know, middle aged man who's rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think if you if you let um, even Jonah Hill run all the all the scenes that don't have Adam Sandler as the like protagonist, you have Jonah Hill run instead, and then like a woman run uh, the scenes with Leslie Mann. I think this movie would have been really good, but instead they have everything filtered through that like kind of old. I've been rich for a really long time. Look how famous I am. Veneer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's probably the the longest movie where I'm like, I don't know how you make a movie this long and skip over things that were relevant, like actually fleshing out his family dynamic i mean you mentioned the sister like that was a place to go the father was a place to go instead they just just too much on on you know jokes yeah and the thing that bothered me about that is what he says he wants is family that's like what makes him happy but he's he's given the option to like meet his nephews and stuff and he's just like fuck that He does end up like his his nephews do end up coming over there in his pool when he meets his parents. There's a little montage. There's mm-hmm. a little. That's all we get. I, that's that's still when movie, he's dying though, right? Yeah. So this count. movie feels like to me, you know how in Spanglish I said that they included a lot of little details that were trying to make it feel like it was like a real like this is a real family. These are real situations happening, mm-hmm. uh, but they never really do in depth explore a lot of those issues. I think that this is very similar, um, except that it's done in a less skilled way, where they're mm. introducing a lot of elements to try to make things seem fleshed out, but it has the opposite effect of making it feel very unfleshed out. Yes. It, it, if all of your character development happens in a montage, it's a bad movie. That's all I'm going to say. Unless it's working out, then it's a perfect movie. Don't ever talk bad about Rocky. Okay, but those those are movies where the character development is... Literally working, working out. out. <laughs> That's different. Or like makeover movies where the whole point is the girl could have been beautiful if she'd only taken off her glasses. I uh a few of the things that I think they did poorly too is like Jason uh Schwartzman's character should have had a point where he helped someone out in a way that was altruistic, um, instead of being a one note douchebag. Like no. I liked his character. I thought that that was very... I liked having that element to kind of be a foil for how Adam Sandler ends up at the end because he does... Like, Jonah Hill ends up getting on his show, but then they're talking about whether or not they should they should get Ira apart. Like, they're imagining that he wants the same thing for himself. Like, of course he wants to be on Yotish. This is like the... This is making it, which is like... It's kind of seen as selling out being on this show. Um, yeah. I, I like that as a foil to what ends up happening at the end. I I think that that works if they foil off him. If they stop hanging out with Mark um, in the movie, that would work. But they mm. don't. They just still live with Mark. Even though I, I know California is super expensive, but all of them are making a lot of money by the end of it. Tech, mm-hmm. or by one point of it. Um, so they he doesn't need to live on a couch in a guy's living room anymore. <laughs> Um, and they, they even say he's not paying rent anymore. And at that time, I was making $80,000 a year, I want to point out. Like, yeah. not he's not super rich, but he can pay for a room, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, 
here's my biggest complaint. This is probably like the last point I want to go over, really. I'm sure if you have other stuff you want to say, too. I, I have two things I want to just bring up and see if anyone figured it out, because I don't know what's going on with something. They criminally underused Aubrey Plaza. They did her such a disservice by only making her a love interest that only that like literally her role is to I don't know, like teach Ira a lesson. I don't even know what her role is supposed to be, but they criminally underuse her. She's such a funny actress and I love her. And how how dare they? This movie should have been about Aubrey Plaza and every character should have been her. That, in addition to the fact that the only other real female character is also a love interest whose only job is to real... Like, she actually kind of has a character arc, though. But mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like it was it was such a reversion to some of the older Adam Sandler films. Especially yeah. when we just watched The House Bunny that passes the Bechdel test. That's all I have to say. Well, I think that's because this is a Judd Apatow written movie, which I don't think there's ever been one that completely handles women well. You know? A shame, it, considering he has two daughters. I, I, Maybe this is 40. I think this is 40, actually. I haven't seen that one yet, so, yeah. It it treats both of them as as equals, but other than that, you're you're probably... I'm I'm thinking of Knocked Up right now, that's it. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Which is just like, ugh, come on. Um, You have kids, dude. (laughs) But yeah, I I agree with that completely. I think it would have actually been great if, with no help from anyone else, uh, Aubrey Plaza, like, started writing for a show, and then... You know, they could reveal it's going to knock Yo Teach off the air because that show fucking sucks. Like something like that would have been a very funny way for her to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just using it as a Ira's immature and then gets mad at woman and then he apologized. So she goes out with him again, even though she definitely is way of... too good looking for him and way too smart and pretty. Yeah, I know. Yeah, most of that <laughs> stuff. But canonically, um, you know, Ira has a huge wiener. So there's that. Except for when he doesn't. There's a couple of times where Adam Sandler actually makes the opposite joke. Oh, yeah. It, I wrote that down. It's Schrodinger's wiener. Yeah. We never get to see the penis. We don't see the penis. Funnily enough, I did read in the trivia that Judd Apatow said that that's something uh, Adam Sandler actually said to him when they live together is, I can't live with you if I don't know what I'm working with. Show me your penis. And Judd Apatow didn't know if he was telling him was joking or not. And I think that's a really funny that that that's a true joke is wild is wild so the two things i don't get in the movie are a is there any significance to the fact that adam sandler's character needs to be talked to sleep because that's weird see i uh... just said he's so detached from everything that he's been so rich and so alone for so long that just gets what he wants or like maybe human contact is like the only comfort he really doesn't have so like it's the only thing that comforts him, but I think it's a matter yeah. of being alone with his thoughts. Yeah, he, he doesn't I mean, like it, or because he's secretly in love with Ira, and he reminds he reminds him of it's, Laura. It's, it's weird behavior. So is watching like five monitors of yourself from different movies simultaneously. Yes, that, he's, a, that, he's a he's a he's such a guy. Yes. If, if I did have that many TVs and that big a house, I would be watching all my own movies at the same time, but not all the time. Um. And then there's one thing that's weird is they kind of have uh, Luke. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Quadrophenia, um, but it, it was in it, it was noticeably a theme in Rain Over Me. And in this movie, they specifically have one song by each of the Beatles on their individual solo acts. Play. I was trying to think about what that meant. As yeah, well. 
But like, well, is there a George Harrison song? Um, just, just think that Judd Apatow really likes most Beatles low careers more than most people do. I don't know. No, like you know, you know, Ringo's in the mix. The thing is that Judd Apatow is pretentious about music, and that is evidenced by the fact that he features Wilco in his movie. He's, Dude, 100%, Seth Rogen would like Wilco at this year. That that struck so true to me. It's insane. He's a white male. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, Apatow is, but it, but in a way that like it's somebody that I I it's really stern opinions about music. I actually think uh, is kind of I don't know. It's it's very just like stereotypical dad rocky white boy stuff yeah. that he likes. It's not. And James Taylor, whatever you know. I mean, I I was just wondering if there's if this movie could be a a world that could have happened that would have been bad from Judd Apatow's view, where Adam Sandler never got married and he became a hateful person who didn't hang out with friends, whereas Adam Sandler, as we know him, is constantly criticized for being with his friends too much. Um, right. So this is this is shown through the motif of the Beatles with singles. And Judd Apatow thinks of Adam Sandler as the leader of the Beatles, with Chris Farley okay. being the one who passed away. And then there's this huge alternate universe where Adam Sandler never, like, quote unquote, sold out, but he's not happy. And Judd Apatow is Leslie Mann in this, um, him putting his own wife into this movie as the one that got away because they never got to work together early. Um, and it's all a metaphor for what could have happened in a worse universe without Sandler and his friends. I came up with all of that off the sp- off the top of my head. That was a pretty good one, though. Mega, <laughs> Sandler. That, yeah, right. So, so, in this scenario, who 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 are the Beatles? What are we talking? About? <laughs> so, Rob Schneider is Ringo. Of course, sure. that's just yeah, obvious. Yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, which yeah. hold on? Are we sure? Which one's the most racist Beatle? It's got to be Ringo, right? Wait, no, that's John Lennon, right? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I think Lennon was the Possibly. bad one. Um, so I'm assuming that makes George. So Harrison's Adam Sandler then? I, I don't. I don't know anything. Or is it Paul McCartney? Beatles. I cannot help you with this. But yeah. So David Spade. I'm gonna give Paul McCartney. They they look. They have a similar look. They have a similar feel. Yeah. Here. That's good. Yeah. Adam Sandler. Do I do I want him as Lennon? No. I'm 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 struggling on this already. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna fall apart. Nobody. I think it's just a general. Let's just call them the Beatles, right? Yeah. Adam Sandler is Ringo. He plays the drums. He keeps them all together. Keeps them on. Adam time. Sandler also plays the guitar. But I'm talking metaphorically, Alex. This is all a metaphor. <laughs> okay. Gosh. I think Paul McCartney was the one trying to keep them all together. I was talking it's musically. It's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Ringo might not be a good enough drummer to even argue that he keeps them on time. That's true. So I, I, I all right, Rob Schneider has to be Ringo because there's no reason for him to actually be there. I actually like Ringo, but I, sure. Yeah, I, I mean. Rob Schneider, R.S. Ringo Starr, R.S. Oh. oh sure. Yeah, okay. N- none of the other names fit. That sucks. I was really hoping <laughs> it would just slot in right so there. So just, you were hoping you were uncovering some grand Illuminati Well, conspiracy. all right, so they name him George Simmons, so that has to be George Harrison. <laughs> Similar names. Um, all right. Uh, I I did like what they did with the music in this movie, the 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 role of diegetic music in this movie, um, and also like some of the like the laughter from the crowd 
mm-hmm. um, they play before they actually visually transition to another scene. So it makes it seem like almost a sitcom laugh track until they do transition that they're in the improv. I liked what they did there. Um, it, but I don't think that it was implemented as well as it could have been. Like, if Judd Apatow were a slightly better director, this movie could have been really good. If, for example, Paul Thomas Anderson directed this movie, it would be great. Yeah, I actually think that's true. Because <laughs> it would have been an hour shorter. Maybe, well, to be fair, a lot of his movies are super long, but but probably not Punch Drunk Love, right? Yeah, uh, Punch Drunk Love is only hour and a half long. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's because that's the requirement. I mean, science, that's science. Yeah. Comedy, 90, 90 minutes. If uh, if you don't know, the really amusing thing, um, after he won an award, he told a, a bunch of reporters that his next movie was going to be a 90-minute 90 90 uh, Happy Madison movie starring Adam Sandler. And then he wrote Punch Drunk Love and recorded it. And they all thought he was joking and laughed at the, it. And then he actually did it. So. Okay. I like that. I like that. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm willing to just agree with you this uh, about this Beatle <laughs> thing so we can move on. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting long. We we got to wrap up I, here. I, I feel like you've been quarantined with Adam Sandler for a long time. Oh, and yeah. You, <laughs> and it's doing stuff to you. But but that's that's pretty good for off the cuff. This is called Lit Crick. It's a very important um, it's a, it's a very important scientific thing that we're doing. Uh, is there yeah. anything else we want to talk about? I'm I'm good. I think that's where the movie stands. Yeah. It's, there's not really the thing we want. We're just getting close, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I I did enjoy it. Um. I don't think I would watch it again because it was really long and dragged in a couple places. But I I, I it was good for what it was. Yeah. It wasn't as bad as a lot of people have have said it is. Well, Luke, do you think it's that bad? I know you're you're not a huge fan, right? Or no, it's fine. Yeah. It's funny that. If, if again, if the parameters are just, is it funny enough to watch? Yes, it's funny enough yeah. to watch. I think watching it again, though, nah, you're probably good. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no. I mean, I get. I think technically, I've seen this twice. I'm, I'm, I'm positive. Yeah, I, I saw it in the theater, but I did not remember it that well. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, again. Oh, yeah, eleven years ago, also. So, but yeah, you want to uh, talk about the stuff you're up to and any of your social media stuff and all that things. Uh, sure. So I'm in post-production of a comedy that I co-wrote and produced called The Dinner Party um, with uh, with some great actors and actresses. Um, Rachel Paulson, who is uh, Sarah Paulson's sister. And oh, no, hate, that's so cool. I, 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 hate, I hate breaking that up, but she's honestly good enough that you won't have to someday. Um, a guy named Will, Will Sterling, who's great. Um, Philip Andre Batello, who's in an amazing jesse eisenberg movie called the art of self-defense and also has a, a very bit he's one of the students in yo teach so he is also in funny people <laughs> um and then uh and then this guy named taylor nichols who, who was just great he's brilliant he's on a uh, pen 15 on hulu he's on perry mason which just started uh this week on hbo and a handful of movies um that i admired growing up and it was a really really big deal for for me to get him um i i still can't believe i did so so that should be uh coming somewhere soon if you want to follow me on social media it's just at luke hackney h-a-c-k-n-e-y that'll probably direct you to anything that you may or may not want to know about me uh yeah and uh i I know it's up in the air um with when it's gonna come out and if it's going to festivals and stuff but we'll definitely tweet about it too and mm-hmm. you know i'm gonna be trying to see it for <laughs> so sure. uh, yeah follow follow luke to figure that out 
Right? Yeah, you can find those tweets at Laugh at Him Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can also find our games at wannabegames.com. Uh, like we say every every day. Uh, I don't have a similar game to pitch for it, so I can't tell uh, you anything about that. I guess our music game was that music game we wrote. Oops, all GMs. That's right. Yeah, that one's about being the Beatles, kinda. Yeah. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash wannabegames. But instead, why don't you give your money to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society? Uh, they are doing work to, you know, research and hopefully find a cure for the disease that uh, George Simmons has in this movie. So um, you can also find me at, at Joska on Twitter. You can find me at Kitty Crusade. And thanks for listening. Rate us on Twitter. Subscribe. And take my wife, please.